Who doesn't love donkeys? They're patient. They're tolerant. We used to live in a country that used donkeys for transport and for goods. And they're incredibly strong despite their small size. Sometimes those donkeys seem to suffer a great deal. And now there are two donkeys in literature that I know of. The first is Eeyore, that sad and pessimistic friend of Winnie the Pooh. And the second is Benjamin, the wise old donkey in Animal Farm by George Orwell. Benjamin is capable of tremendous work, but he refuses to be manipulated into believing that everything is fantastic on the farm, even when the animals take over and proclaim freedom. Donkeys live a long time, he says. I can be a bit of a Benjamin, and my family remind me of this sometimes. I'm difficult to convince. I take some proof before I'll allow myself to break into optimism. I'm very sceptical, a bit wary. But God has been working on this for me for some time, and I'm a happier person as a result. Today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 15. God makes a covenant with Abram. We'll look at this covenant and we'll look at what it reveals about the character of God and we'll think about what it means when a promise becomes a covenant and we'll look at what God requires of us by finding what Abram's reaction is. So <clears throat> let's read together. Genesis chapter 15, just reading the first six verses. After these events, remember the, uh, the battles with the four and the five kings and Abram uh, seemingly getting a reward from the king of Sodom but refusing it. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, Look, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. In the character of God is the idea of covenant. That means that he commits to what he's promised to do, pure and simple. In this case with Abram, he's very specific. One who comes from your body will be your heir. Now, this is unimaginable. 
of all the things that God could promise, this is next to impossible to achieve. Sarai is barren and is in advanced years. She is past the time in life where she would be able to give birth to a child. But there's the promise. One who comes from your body will be your heir. Now, Abram himself, being the man that he is, he cannot imagine having a son who will continue his line. And this is important to him, and it rankles with him, because in the Middle East and in ancient Hebrew culture, but even to this day, people will do everything in their power to ensure that their inheritance is properly entailed. I remember a friend of ours from Morocco. She had just lost her husband, and she told us with some fear that she was just waiting for his family to arrive and divide up all her worldly possessions. She made a motion showing how they'd even split a teaspoon between themselves. The law would not protect the rights of the closest family. And the law wouldn't favour Abram's nearest and dearest, but the law would make provision for Eliezer, a person born in Abram's family, in his home, but not connected at all with that great patriarch. And so this troubles Abram. And considering how lightly Abram's held everything, we are a bit surprised that suddenly he has a flashpoint of doubt or anger at this point in the story. After all, God has promised in Genesis 12, 13 and 14 that he would make Abram the father of many nations, that he would establish a home for Abram at the place where he's been living and that his descendants would cover this earth like the sand itself. Abram has held everything very lightly so far, but he has a flashpoint of doubt or even of anger at this point in the story. And he shows that he just doesn't understand how his descendants can cover the earth like the sand itself. And is that you today? Have you kept on faithfully praying for God's blessing, believing in his goodness, trusting in his faithfulness until there is a flashpoint that sends you backwards? Maybe it's something simple like a council tax bill. Maybe it's a sick relative who suffered a long time. Maybe it's the state of your own heart or the lack of progress you see in yourself or those around you. You have been given a sure and certain promise by God, or at least you think you have. But in the time of testing, you want to look at that promise and say, yes, but. And with God, there is never a yes, but. He is always yes. And you know. And like the child who's always been good as gold, you've not given your family any trouble, you suddenly let the floodgates bur burst. Yes, but Lord, you say. Yes, but you've promised this for a long time, but you've not delivered. Yes, but what, what you say is not only unlikely, it's impossible. Yes, but, but I've watched everyone else get what they need or what they want, and I feel forgotten. Yes, but how can that happen? And you have become a Benjamin. Donkeys live a long time. I've seen and heard this all before. I'll become impenetrable or fixed in my position. You'll not disappoint me because I simply won't allow myself to get carried away. 
Is that you today? Not allowing yourself to get carried away? Impenetrable? Benjamin-like? But God, firstly, is God. He doesn't owe you or me anything. He continues to deal with us justly and clearly. He makes the sun shine on both the wicked and the righteous. He continues to have mercy on whom he'll have mercy and to visit justice on those whom he will visit justice on. And I would be disingenuous if I didn't say it as it is. God is God. And that pure and simple. However, and there is a however. God is using this time with Abram to reveal things about his nature to Abram first, to him first, and then to you and me. He's blessing the nations of the earth, that's us, by allowing us to oversee a prayer time that Abram has. And by the way, that's why we trust the scriptures and we believe the Bible, because we are led into these secret conversations between God and man. And they're not always according to a script that we would write. The Bible becomes then our constant, a record of God's dealing with mankind over the ages in calling people to himself for his eternal glory, remembering that he made it and he knows what he's going to do with it for his eternal glory. Well, how does God react to Abram's Benjamin moment, his donkeys live a long time moment? Well, first of all, he allows Abram to question him. See, God has made humankind incredibly complex and wonderful. They are not robotic and automatic. It would be so easy for God to fall silent when Abram loses his calm or strike him dumb like he did uh, Zechariah all those years later. But God allows this hard questioning and he encourages honest human reasoning. Abram is saying, there's no point in having all this large estate and goods if there's no one to leave it to, except a guy who lives in Syria and doesn't have any other part in this story. Now, <clears throat> we have to be careful. We don't gain points with God by being feisty or negative. So we don't need to start being that way just to prove the point. But God is not threatened by our questions, not even questions about the specifics. God is relational. In life we have to deal with all kinds of people. Some of them are awkward and difficult. God made us to relate, to get close to one another, to look at one another in the face and to ask the hard questions. If we're to make progress in church, we'll end up asking hard questions like, why do we do this if it doesn't bear fruit? Why are we doing this when it's not really part of our mission and purpose? The thing is, 
that we need to ask the questions in love and with an openness about the answers if the, if the answers aren't the ones we want to hear. God expects that that's the way we should deal with one another. Just read about the debate with the, when the apostles meet and argue in Acts 15. God expects us to debate things and he welcomes us to approach him in the same way with all our stuff, all our questions, all our doubts. But having, I hope, established that God is not um, made angry by our questions to him, by an honest approach to him in prayer, and having established that we don't get extra points by being feisty or quarrelsome with God, just straightforward and true, we need to remember this, that God is not making a simple promise to Abram. He's making a covenant. A covenant. A legal agreement. And here are some details to be ironed out, says Abram. God allows Abram close enough to him to ask the difficult questions about the details of the covenant, but he does not allow Abram to wallow or to feel sorry for himself. And that's worth remembering. Now God reminds Abram who he is. He has said it is one come from your loins who will uh, inherit what you have. And secondly, God says, I, I am your shield and your great reward. Now, shield's a useful bit of kit. It's defensive. It keeps out those burning arrows fired at us. But it also allows us to manoeuvre into, into an offensive position. In uh, 1 Samuel, we read that Jonathan had a shield bearer who fought by his side and risked everything for a sweet victory over God's enemies. Now God himself is Abram's shield. He'll keep out the arrows of doubt. He'll protect Abram from the withering sun that wearies and saps him. He'll enable him to move safely to where God wants Abram to be. Now the shield can become an assurance of faith because it's a sign of God's faithfulness, his constancy. And more than that, God is Abram's own reward. This dear Christian, this is a most important lesson, and one that I don't mind repeating. God himself is our inheritance. He's our reward. Now, The world will tell us that we get rewards for being good. And this seems reasonable. But God's the reward who's given despite not deserving a reward. He's our unmerited reward. Now, the world also likes to tell us that rewards come to those who already have a lot. But this reward is for those who are poor in spirit. If we can't be content with this knowledge, 
then we are too difficult to please. God is offering himself as the reward, which means that he is with us, that he cares, that he listens, that he challenges and pushes us, and he develops himself in us. That's a reward that we need to embrace and humbly accept and hungrily ask for more. Now, where does that leave us? God is the covenant maker, making a covenant here to Abram and to all the generations through him. Now, we are familiar with the idea of covenant because in everything we do today, we have to be reminded that terms and conditions apply for the service we've signed up for. And the service is voided if we don't meet the terms. And God requires one thing from the hearer, and that is faith. He wants us to say, now you've answered my initial inquiries, sign me up. I understand what is required. And that's why when Abram has tried his objections before God, and God has answered him, he's led to a new state of of being, and that state of being is the state of believing. He takes on faith. And for this, Abram is rewarded with a very great accolade, which makes it all the way to the New Testament, the book of Romans chapter 4. Abram believed God and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now this is extremely important. It's not Abram's works that make him righteous. It is his faith. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is the gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. You see, even faith itself is the gift of God. And the result of faith is credit for righteousness. Abram believed God. And God credited it to him as righteousness. It's by grace you've been saved through faith and this is the gift of God. Now, in all reality, the covenant is not that God agrees something if we fulfill our obligations. That would make us too equal within the covenant. And really, the covenant is God's intention for us. And it would mean that we work hard for our reward as an equal partner. And, and that does not make sense um, in the Bible. It's by faith and not by works that we're saved. So we'd have a problem if God made a promise to Abram as long as Abram was good for the rest of his life, as long as Abram did so many hours of prayer, or as long as Abram went to his altar and sacrificed so many times, we would have a problem because that would mean that God wouldn't look at us until we're good enough. And we know that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Where would grace be if God required something of us, works and not faith? We'd be like those children who suffer a particular form of neglect where parents put so much pressure on, uh, on them that they never feel that they're quite good enough. I don't like that. what that does to children, do you? Sometimes a parent says, as a reward 
I'll let you have some ice cream. And fair enough, we need to motivate our children sometimes. But when the parent follows up with, well, you were good. I was going to give you ice cream, but now you've done something wrong. So I'm taking away your reward. You can so easily make children think they'll never match up. They'll never be good enough to be loved. And that's what wrong thinking does to Christians. It makes them think that God needs to see a bit of effort, that he'll only love us if we deserve his love. And some branches of the church have uh, they, they have um, traded on this for many generations. They've set conditions on the love of God. But they're wrong. We have good news for everyone who thinks they're not good enough to be accepted by God. He makes a covenant with us that he is committed to. And this awakens us and it, stretch, it stretches a new muscle in us. And that muscle is called faith. And faith is what grows out of knowing. Knowing that God's covenant is not for changing. It's for all time. It's for you today and it's for the many. And faith is not the condition. But faith is part of the reward. And faith is a mind put right by God about God himself. And those of you today doubting God need to remember that he committed. He made a covenant. He's committed to it. And he's there to grow your faith and my faith and to reward you and to reward me and to shield you when your faith is weak and to shield me when my faith is weak. He's the God who revealed himself to Abram and now he reveals himself to you. And the terms and conditions are God cannot lie. He is your great reward. He is your shield. Believe. Believe. Stop fretting over the conditions and believe. Stop looking to yourself to prove yourself. Believe. Don't wait for everything to be sorted. Just believe. And you can let the God who sees the beginning from the end take care of the details. That is his covenant promise. You see, when God promised to Abram, he didn't promise without knowing the facts of his situation. But his answer was that Abram would have offspring born to himself in this twilight time of life. And where the evidence did not look promising, God laid down a covenant. And I think God is laying out to us today the knowledge that he has covenanted growth and progeny and increase even in barren times like this. And we don't see how we can meet up again as things stand, do we? We don't know how much of our lives will be controlled by this virus. We don't know how we'll be able to continue uh, in the long term without becoming more public, more hands-on as a church. But God has covenanted that he is gathering to himself a people from all tongues and nations and he is still at work today. The covenant he's made isn't based on a parent promise to make us happy or quietness down. It's a promise signed in blood and laid out for all to see on the cross of Jesus. And if we have faith, if we believe the God who makes his covenant with us forever, he accounts that as righteousness. He counts us as his. We take hold of that covenant that he signed in the blood of Christ and we simply believe. 
and God is our exceedingly great reward. If we accept that, the knowledge will grow our faith. We will be led closer to God to seek him first, his kingdom and his righteousness. We'll start to stretch our faith muscles and we'll start to embrace the discipline of obedience. And this will come as a result of this faith that God wants to spread in our hearts and heads. So let's quiet our hearts. Let's allow God to answer those deep heartfelt questions. Let's rehearse his words over our own situation. I am your shield and your very great reward. Let's look to the cross of Christ where God signed his covenant of love with mankind. And let faith awaken in us as we look forward knowing that the covenant maker has the details in his hands. Let's just pray. Lord, you know the promise you've made. You know the details. Help us to trust you. May your kingdom grow in our lives and in our families and in our church and in our streets and in our town and in our nation. Amen.